Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. I'll tell you where in just a little bit. You know, one of the most depressing things you can do is to read the headlines of the newspaper or watch the, watch the news. Now, I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. I, I'm just saying. And I just I say that to point out why it is that so many people are so fearful today, and they are. There are a lot of folks that live with their finger on the panic button, and we've got, you know, the preppers that are, uh, and you can't hardly blame them, but, you know, they're prepping for uh, some sort of a, uh, an absolute disaster. And, by the way, don't ever think that couldn't happen. I mean, we have absolutely no idea just what might happen. But the sad thing is they don't see any hope on the horizon. That, that's what's sad, to see people living without any hope. Now, I can't change the world. That's for certain. And I can't help everyone in the world, that's for sure. But I can light a candle in my little dark corner of the world. I can do that. And the light for that candle is found right here in Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and one of my very favorite verses, verse number 20. Ephesians 3, 20 now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. I want to speak to you this morning, able. You know, we're, we live in a world that's filled with conflict. You know, and to say that life is a challenge is a real understatement. And you know what I mean, because the road of life is rough. The times that we live in are troublesome. The days are difficult. And, and sometimes it just seems like it's impossible to, uh, to succeed or even impossible to survive. And every day we're brought face to face with the fact that we are a weak and a needy people and on our own we're sure to fail. No way we can make it on our own. Buddha said, he is able who believes he is. But let me tell you, Buddha was a fool. That's just not true. I love the way Dr. Bruce Hurt put it whenever he responded to that statement. He said, if Buddha had capitalized the second he, his saying would have been spot on. Believers are able only because he is able. And that's true. He is able. And he who is able enables us. Some people's got the idea that the Christian life is all about changing from our old manner of life over to the Christian values. And certainly when we become a Christian, there are changes that take place in our life, but we're not the ones making the changes. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the change agent. He's the one that's doing the changes. He changes us. That's why we change. And without Christ, we can't do anything, according to John chapter number 15 and verse 5. Without Him, we can do nothing. But Philippians 4.13 says, but with Him, we can what? We can do all things. So all things are possible 
through him. Through Christ, he enables those that are unable, and he never fails. And because of that, we can live in hope. In other words, we can have great expectations, although the tapestry of the world is coming to unravel all around us. Although every day we feel like chicken little crying that the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and yet we know the same God who created the universe is still controlling the universe and that He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could even ask or that we could even think about. Our, our mind can't even imagine the great things. So the next time that you feel overwhelmed by the difficulties of life, I want to challenge you to take a concordance and just go through the concordance and I want you to look into God being able. And what you'll discover is amazing and assuring. It'll give you comfort, it'll give you courage, because you're going to discover that God is not only able, but God is available. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to think about God having all of that power, all of that wisdom, and His ability to do all of these things, and then for Him to not be available? But He's able and He's willing. He is available to help His people. Now, all of that sounds well and good, but finding the facts have to be followed by faith. You see, knowing is one thing, trusting is another. And I can give you a list of the things that God can do, and in fact, I'm going to do that in just a little bit. But I can give you this list of all of the things that God can do, that is, all of the things that I know about, but I can't make you believe. And there's a big difference. You're not a Christian just based on what you know, but according to whom you trust. The devil believes and he trembles, but there is no, no trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So where does this faith come from? Obviously, we've got to have more than the facts. We've got to have faith. And the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. But where does this faith come from? Well, the Bible's very clear about that. Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, that's not to say that everyone who hears the Word has faith. But it is to say no one has faith without hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is the source it is the means whereby God enables us to have faith. You see, this is no ordinary book I hold in my hand. This book, according to Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 12, this book is alive. It is a living book. This book has power to reach out and grab you by the throat. This book has power to kick you in the seat of the britches. This book has the power to pick you up and to get you going. This book has the power to stop you in your tracks. It has a way of changing us. And we don't even perhaps realize it, but at the same time as we're reading the Word of God, and as we meditate upon it, as we absorb it into our heart, all of a sudden 
the Spirit of God, using the Word of God, begins to create faith in our heart. And never forget, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you're here today and you're lacking in faith, please understand your lack of faith limits the degree to which God can be pleased with your life. So God tells us it is our responsibility to believe, right? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So it's our responsibility to believe and to trust Him. And it is an insult then and an offense against God for us not to trust Him. You ever think about that? What an insult that is. I mean, here you have this great God that created the heavens and the earth, this great God that gave us life, this great God that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, and for, for us to say, yeah, but I, I, I can't trust you. I refuse to trust you. I refuse to commit my life into your care. What an offense that is against God. And so many people got the idea, you know, just to say no to God, just to reject Christ, that it's not a big deal after all. It's their decision, it's their life, and they have a right to do with their life as they please. No, you don't. You're living in open rebellion against God. If you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a dirty, rotten, low-down, stinking scoundrel. You are vile and unfit for the kingdom of God. I don't even have words to describe how awful you are. And by the way, that's the way all of us are by nature. So I'm not picking on you. I mean, you know, it's the same way with all of us. And to turn around and to say that we won't trust God, that we refuse to believe the God who cannot lie is an insult against God and, and makes us accountable to God. Now with all of that being said, I want to light that candle in this dark place and I want to share with you this morning some of the ways that God encourages us by reminding us of what He's able to do. Now, it's all summed up there in Ephesians 3.20. That's just a summation. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. But it helps us to get more specific than that, to bring it right down to where we live. And over and over again, we find that little phrase, He is Able. For example, Hebrews 7 and verse 25, He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. And this is talking about salvation. He is able to save. And you know, it's a good thing He is able because nobody else is. There is no other way to salvation other than through Him. He's the only one that can save us. Good works can't save us. Religion can't save us. Sincerity can't save us. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through the one who is able. He's able to save, but not only is He able to save, He is able and willing to save anyone who will trust Him. The only thing keeping anybody from being saved is their refusal to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. To simply trust Him. 
It's like the old preacher said, he's able to say from the guttermost to the uttermost. Doesn't make any difference if you're a bum or, or a banker. Doesn't make any difference if you're the president or somebody living out here on the streets of the city. Makes no difference how good or how bad you are. He is able to save you and he's the only one who is able to save you. That's wonderful. I can't think of anything God could do that would be better than that, can you? I mean, if God, listen, if God let you starve to death tomorrow, the fact that He saved you today would be such a blessing that you shouldn't anything. Let that sink in for a little while. If God saves you today and lets you starve to death tomorrow, just, I mean, takes everything you have away from you, you wouldn't have any reason for complaint because we're saved by what? Grace. It's not through our works. It's not as though we deserve anything. It's all because of the grace of God that He saves us. That's the most wonderful thing that God could do for any of us is to save us. But that's not the only thing God can do. Stop and think for just a moment if that's all God did. If God said, look, you know, I'm going to save you, but then from there on out, buddy, it's hands off. You're on your own. We wouldn't have any reason to complain, but I'll tell you, we'd have plenty of problems to deal with, wouldn't we? Because life is tough. And so God not only is able to save us, God is able to do other things. For example, He not only saves us, He's able to secure us. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12 says, I know, this is Paul speaking, I know whom I have believed and am able and, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now notice, Paul did not say, I know what I've believed. How many times being a Christian or something, they'll say, well, you know, I know what I believe. I believe this and I believe that. Well, look, folks, that's not the most important thing in the world. Paul didn't say, I know what I believe, although he did know what he believed. He said, I know whom I have believed. Yeah, he, he believed the one who cannot fail. He believed the one who is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost, the one that we can depend upon for every need. And notice he said, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day and doesn't depend upon us. And by the way, there are a lot of denominations that teach that even after we've been saved, that we have to maintain. Because if we don't do this and we don't do that, we could lose our salvation. Most Listen, most of the Protestants, and, and, and whenever you get right down to it, that is nothing more works. We can't save ourselves. We cannot keep ourselves. Because none of us are able to live a sinless life, right? You know, some years ago when Jimmy Swaggart went off of the deep end and committed a horrible sin and so on and so forth, and, and of course, you know, they believe, and I use his name for a reason, because he's the one on national TV, they got up there and publicly said, spoke about those Baptists and the damnable heresy of eternal security. That, 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 that's what he called our belief in the eternal security of the believer, a damnable heresy. 
But it's strange to me that, you know, he had made a profession of faith, but what do you have to, if if you can lose it, what would you have to do to lose it? Wouldn't that qualify? And to get on national TV and to cry and say, oh, I'm sorry I did thus and thus, you know, uh, forgive me uh, of my sins. Looks to me like you have to be born again. And then you have to be born again. And again, and again, and again. I mean, where does it end? Where does it stop? You see, none of us are perfect. We couldn't keep ourselves. You know, if that's the way it was, we couldn't keep ourselves after we were saved. It's God who saves us and God who secures us. The Bible says He gives us what kind of life? Tell me. Eternal. How long is eternal? Well, if it's eternal today and I'll lose it tomorrow, it wouldn't have been eternal yesterday, right? It's eternal. It's never ending. It's everlasting. That's the kind of life that He gives us, and we can't lose that. Jude said, now unto Him that, here it is, that is able. Oh, what's He able to do? Able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. He's able to keep us. I've heard people say, I remember a fellow up in Kansas City years ago that made a statement to a preacher friend of mine who was urging him to become a Christian. And Parker Daly, the preachers, as he was urging him, told him, you know, you, you need to become a Christian. And he said, you know, he said, I would, but he said, I, I, I love to drink. And he said, my refrigerator right now is full of beer. And he said, preacher, I could sit here and I could make a profession of faith, you know, but he said, you know, I, I, I know I, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't keep doing it. I couldn't live the life of a Christian. Well, in the first place, salvation doesn't depend on what you give up or what you quit. You don't become a Christian because you quit drinking beer. Now, you ought to quit drinking it because you become a Christian, but you don't become a Christian because you gave this up or that. And by the way, it's not up to you to keep your salvation after God gives it to you. You can't do it. He does it. He's able to save. He's able to secure. But listen, He's able to satisfy I don't know about you, but before I was saved, I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't satisfied with anything. I wasn't satisfied with anybody. Nothing satisfied me. I was talking to Bev the other day about the fact that I, I wish I had all of those guns that I had when I was a teenager that I, I some really nice, be worth a lot of money today. And, uh, and of course, they all end up in the pawn shop. They ended up in the pawn shop because it's the only way I could get money to get my next bottle of booze. I didn't, you know, I didn't have them take it and sell it. But you know, back then I thought to myself, you know, if I can just get this gun, this boat, this motor, if I can do this or I can do that, boy, I'll be happy. But I wasn't. Absolutely nothing satisfied me. Nothing. Until the day that I trusted Christ as my Savior. Till I drop, I've never been thirsty again. I eat of that bread, that everlasting bread of life that satisfies my soul. And I know what it is now to be satisfied. Let me tell you, 
If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, whether you think so or not, you can lie through your teeth. You can go on pretending like you're satisfied. You can say, well, I'm satisfied because I'm in good health. I've got a big bank account. I've got a lot of friends. I'm able to travel the world and to see all of the sights and to do all of those things. Whoa, I couldn't be more satisfied. You're a liar. You're not satisfied. Maybe I shouldn't say you're a liar. You're you're just so deceived. You you don't even know what satisfaction really is. But those of you that have received Christ as your Savior, you know, don't you? That deep, settled peace that is in your heart, that satisfaction that only God can give. He's able to save, able to secure. He's able to satisfy. Not only that, He's able to supply. I love Psalm 78 and verse 19 says, Yea, this is Israel, Yea, they spake against God. I don't know how much more foolish you could get than that, right? But they did. They spake against God. Now notice what they said. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now remember, these are the same people that have been in Egyptian bondage. The same people that had been made to serve in hard rigor. The same people that had no freedom, no liberty. The same people that was subjected to the cruelties of Pharaoh. And God delivers them. And God has not only delivered them, but God is taking them to the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land where all of their needs would be supplied. But as they are crossing the wilderness... They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Want Him to do? He just dried up the Red Sea. What do you want Him to do? He just defeated the most powerful army on the earth. What do you want Him to do? He gave you water out of the rock from heaven. That's why He goes on and says, indeed, He can furnish a table in the wilderness. And I want you to know He is able to supply your needs, whatever they might be. He is able not only to supply your every need. You know, so many times He he does that in ways that we're not even aware of it. You, You might have heard about the buttermilk prayer. Anybody ever heard the buttermilk prayer? Now, the new preachers is down in the deep south and had a new preacher. And so the new preacher called on one of the older deacons to lead in prayer. And so the deacon stood up and took a breath and he said, Lord, I hate buttermilk. And the pastor opened one eye and he looked over at him and he was wondering, you know, where's this going? The old deacon said, Lord, I hate lard. And now the pastor's totally perplexed at this point. And the old deacon said, Lord, I ain't too crazy about plain old flyer. But then he proceeded and he said, But after you mix them all together and bake them in a hot oven, I just love biscuits. And then he said, Lord... Help us to realize that when life gets hard and things come up that we don't like, 
whenever we don't understand what you're doing, that we need to wait and see what you're making. And after you get through mixing and baking, it'll probably be something even better than biscuits. Amen. And sit down. I'll tell you one thing. That old deacon understood Romans 8.28. Amen. And I want you to know that whenever you're sleeping, whenever you are overwhelmed with problems and it seems like the whole world has shut you out and there's nowhere to turn and there's nothing to do, no one to depend upon, the God's baking biscuits. That He's causing all things to work together for those who love the Lord. He's able to satisfy and able to supply your every need. Not only that, He's able to succor you in a time of need. And by that, young people, I mean He's able to help or to aid you. Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that He Himself hath suffered being tempted... And here it is. He is, in other words, because of the fact that he took upon himself the form of a man, because he allowed himself to be horribly mistreated and he suffered as no man has ever suffered because of all of the things that he went through, that he was tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. And because of that, he is a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he knows how we feel and he's able to help us or aid us in our time of need. The great picture of that's found there in Daniel chapter number 3 in the story that all of the kiddos know about. Those three Hebrew children, as we often call them, those young men who refused to bow down even whenever they were threatened to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And I love their statement to the wicked old king whenever he threatened them. And, and I want you to notice what they did. They said, verse 17, if, if it be so that our God whom we serve is able... It is. If He is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, He will deliver us out of Thine hand. But if not, be it known unto the O King that we will not serve Thy gods nor worship the golden image which Thou hast set up. You see, they were able to survive because they knew God was able. God chooses not to deliver us. We're not going to bow down and worship Your image. We refuse. I'm telling you this morning, folks, that you'll never find yourself in a situation that's too difficult for God. He's able to succor you during those trying times in your life when it seems impossible to even survive. He's there able to subdue. He's able to subdue all of our enemies. And by the way, we have plenty, don't we? Jesus said, you know, the world hated me, and because it did, it's going to hate you. You'll be hated of all men for my name's sake. Philippians 3 and verse number 20 says, For our conversation, talking about our citizenship, is in heaven. In other words, it's not here on this earth. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able 
Able to what? Able to subdue all things unto himself. If you want to get a picture of what that really looks like, you just turn back one chapter there in Philippians chapter 2 where he speaks about the fact that one of these days that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what it looks like. That whenever he subdues all of his enemies, when he marches out and sets himself upon the throne of his father David and rules with a rod of iron, in that day when he has subdued all of his enemies, that's why I keep saying that for the Christian, the best is always yet to come. We don't need to worry about the future because it's, it's going to get better and going to get better. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, preacher, you know, it's, it's not the future I'm worried about. It's what I'm going through right now. Because it's one thing all going to end well, but... But I'm afraid I can't hold out to the end. I'm afraid very moment there might be someone here that's facing what seems to be an impossible situation. And you are disappointed. You are discouraged. You're depressed. You're defeated. You're in despair. And it might be you, you're thinking to yourself, I just can't go on. I'm just going to fold up and, and, and collapse. I, I just, I can't. I can't make it. Well, I don't have all of the answers. And, and I don't have the power to just wave a magic wand and solve all of your problems. But I can tell you where you can find help. Help now. And the best has come, but the help to get you through today. Number one, you need to ponder, think upon, meditate upon the attributes of God. Remember, we're talking about the one who is able. You know, and if we shut God out of our thinking, it always ends in despair. But when we reflect upon His attributes, His love, His mercy, His grace, His goodness, His wisdom, His power, His faithfulness, His holiness, think about all of those things that tell us what God is. As we think about that, it lights a candle of hope in our life because suddenly we realize, wow, you know, it might be that I'm not able, but God is. He's never limited. Not only should we ponder the attributes of God, we ought to peruse the promises of God. The Bible says, Unto us are given exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, by these what? By these promises, that we might be able to overcome the world, overcome the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and so forth, that we might be victorious. Look, folks, God has given us all of these promises of the things that He is able to do, but it doesn't help us if we don't embrace them. We need not only that, but we need to pursue the will of God because that's the only safe place. Uh, 
some roads were extremely dangerous. Anybody from the Ozarks knows about the Nixa Hills, a little town called Nixa, and uh, just on the south side of Springfield. And I mean, it's just like a washing board, like up and down, just like a roller coaster. And uh, roller coaster, yeah. <laughs> and so they built Highway 65, and so everybody thought, you know, man, I'm, I'm not going to go over there on that old highway through Nixa. That is so dangerous. And, you know, it's only logical that, hey, I'll get over here on this big, new, wide highway that uh, is not nearly as dangerous. Now, you know, as we go through life, we have to make a lot of decisions, and a lot of times we use a lot of different rationale for, for the decision that we make. And, and we decide, all right, I'm going to take this course of action or that course of action because I, I believe in the long run, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be better off. I, I, I've decided that I'm going to get me a college education because, you know, then I can make more money. And I can buy more things and do more things. And so I, I, I've chosen that. And so we wear ourselves out trying to make all of these different decisions without ever taking into consideration the one single most important thing, and that's whether or not we're in the will of God. Let me tell you, you're never safe outside the will of God. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The will of God is the only safe place for difference. I hope that you took time this morning to read our daily devotional morning manna. It was based on, on Psalms 50 and verse number 15. It says, where God says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Now, God wasn't just whistling Dixie when he said that. God meant what he said, and he said what he meant. Amen. And notice what he says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. And if you're not in trouble, you're headed for trouble or you're just coming out of trouble, but sooner or later, we're all going to be in trouble. And God says, here's what you do when you find yourself in trouble. He says, call upon me. Why? Because he says, I will deliver thee. I'll deliver you. And thou shalt glorify me. Psalms 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I love that, a very present help in trouble. Wherever you are in life, God is right there at your point of need. Wherever you are, He's able. And I hope today that regardless of what you're going through and the struggles that you're facing, when you leave here, I just pray to God that, that the Holy Spirit will use the truth of Ephesians 3.20 to light that candle of hope in your heart. That you'll leave here being reminded that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or all we could ever think. It's all the same with God. 
nothing's but a time of need. It's so wonderful to be able to just go through all of these things that God is able to do and to think that because I'm a child of God, God does all of these things for me and for all of his children. And at the same time, it's so sad to think about those that are here today that have never really truly trusted Christ as their Savior. They don't know the joy of having the assurance that God's going to be their helper in a time of need. Because you remember this, until you trust Him, you are offending Him. It's an insult to God for you to say, I refuse to trust Him. Think about the fact that Jesus shed His blood on the cross for you. And for listen, for you to hear the gospel and reject it is for you to just step, as it were, in the blood of Jesus Christ and step over it as though it meant absolutely nothing and go on your way. You can't reject Christ graciously. It is a horrible insult for you to reject the sacrifice that He made for you. Why don't you wake up this morning and say, I'll tell you what, I've I've made a fool of myself long enough. I'm going to trust God right here and right now. I'm going to trust Him as my Savior. I'm going to live for Him as the Lord of my life that He might be glorified through me. Let's all stand together. Father in heaven, how we thank You, Lord, for all of the not just the information that you give us in the Bible concerning the things that you're able to do. That's exciting. That's thrilling. That is such a comfort to our hearts to know what you're able to do. But we're so, so thankful this morning that the Holy Spirit uses these words to remind us that you're willing to be whatever it is that we need. And I just pray this morning that some dear soul might come to know Christ as their Savior. And Lord, I pray this morning that that some of your children that have been so distraught, some that are so worried and fear work in their heart and that they might leave here with the lamp of your promises burning bright and that that regardless of what happens in life, that you're there. Amen.